and Buster mostly. It's mostly separation oh, from to, Buster. We had to take that old guy to the vet yesterday. <gasps> no. He, he has to get his teeth cleaned, so we had to get blood work because oh, they got to knock him out. Yeah. Um, boy, he hates going to that place. You know, my animals don't love it either. You know what's funny that I I I'm not a dog person, but one thing that I am envious of it's like with a cat, you got to shove them in that little box and they mm-hmm. freak out. Yep. A dog, you we'll just, just get you in just, the, it's like an idiot. You just bring them. Yeah, you just get get in the you car. You don't need to put a dog in a box because they can just walk around. You got to be one of those uh, guys with a cat on a leash. God, one of those perverts. It's too. It was. It's. It was too late for Buster. Yeah. But if we ever got another cat, my you, si- my you, sister has a hairless cat that she's been leash training, which is very right. good. That's funny. I know. That's it's, even it's, funnier than a cat on a leash normally. It's very good. And the cat's name, Soup. Excellent. Fuck. Excellent. Good shit. <laughs> I now want to turn to Travis. Hmm, hello. So you have like kind of been lured back into life and perceiving through the body. And yeah, it is. I I, I like the way that you played it in the ideas that like these hallucinations are kind of like reality is remembering a dream. And so you're like, oh, I know there was something important, but now my mind isn't sticking to it. What do you do? Oh, (laughs) I suppose I need to tell you a story. Yes, my son. Yes. Uphold your end of the bargain. How did you part ways? Well, when I feel like there's there is uh, as Travis tells this story, there's like a just like a nagging in the back of his head. Yeah. We met again in Nordia, and I didn't know it was her then. Hidden even from you. And she helped me learn a lot about myself that I... Well, don't tell anyone I told you this. But that I couldn't have learned on my own. And we were together for... A brief while, and then she felt that she should move on, and she left with... (laughs) It's funny, really, how it worked out, but she left with someone who uses a name that I used to use. And it was only then that she was gone again that I realized who she was. And... The queen steps towards you once more. Oh, my poor dear, my sweet, sweet son, to have faced that once more. Please, lay down your burdens with me. Tell me the name of the man 
who took her from you. And as she steps toward you, there is, at the edges of your perception, thundering. The pounding feet of a being that is very, very large, moving very, very fast, and carrying with it the smell of smoke and fire as Gable emerges into the Queen's Glade and starts to melt away your perception of reality back into seeing what is truly there, and that is the sick creature that is wearing the face of your mother and once again preparing to tear out your heart. And it says again with that mockery of the queen's voice, Tell me his name. Captain? No. Yeah, I mean, yes. I don't know. Uh... Because all Gables uses is the captain being mm-hmm. about to be stabbed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, then I'm going to hit the thing, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ro- ro- roll that. Roll that thing hit. Uh, uh, I don't know. I two, two purple. It's a brawl. I'm going to block it. I'm going to punch it, and I'm still berserk. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's two purple. Uh, all right. And that's brawl. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and this is quick strike. A, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, this is a quick strike situation. And I'm going to punch it with my on fire. Your arm. firearm. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> right. Oh, that's underwhelming. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's Dang. an advantage and two failures. <laughs> I think what happens is you come running and swinging. You've got this flaming fist that smacks into the ground. This green heart is so much more agile than the ones that you have faced before. And the green hearts that were like acting as furniture in this place, like spring to life too. And now you can see these are pale, sickly green, spindly beings that are holding themselves like very aggressively and kind of animalistic as they encircle you. The thing that I'm going to give you as an advantage is as you punch the ground at Travis's in the captain's body's feet, a plume of flame rolls over the two of you, enveloping all of the pollen and like blooms in the area. So now you are seeing everything as it truly is. Captain, are you all right? Why do you keep calling me Captain? Did I get because a promotion? You're... You would recognize that whining tone anywhere. So it's his voice? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nathan, could was, you do an impression? <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, I, I was kind of like when in Travis's body trying to do Orma's voice in a slightly higher register. Because it's a smaller person. So I don't know. Just kind of do your lines in a deeper register and then you're fine. <laughs> well, no, no. Uh, Nathan, what, what I want... From, from you right now is like getting that like kind of higher I don't want to say I, uh, I effeminate see. but like it's that I, effeminate sting I mean on, I, on... I would normally call myself in the day to day an effeminate sting so there you go <laughs> 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 um, 
I, I don't know. I hate doing impressions of other people. I'm really bad at it. It's I'll try. Oh, sorry, I'll okay. try. What, 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 what am I saying oh, here? Oh, what good. am I saying here? I'll give it a go. Well, I'll try and do it in your voice doing my voice, and then you can. Well, try you don't have it. to do the accent. Nobody's saying that you have to do the accent. <laughs> Why do you keep calling me Captain? Yeah, there, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Did I get a promotion? <laughs> there, yes, yes. <laughs> mm. And that is unmistakable. Come on. <laughs> How is this? Uh, what? What are you? Do, what are you doing in there? What are you doing inside the captain? In Captain's where? What are you are, also there? Are there two of you in here? I think this is the moment when Travis like kind of realizes everything sort of clicks into place, and he's like, "Oh, to tell them I'm here." Dreff is here. <laughs> okay, but is the captain? I, the, the captain is somewhere with my body. I can't. I can't. I can't use the ears. Were they excited? <laughs> For you, of course not. Are they happy to hear from me? <laughs> Gable does not believe Travis. Gable does not believe that Travis. <laughs> that there are multiple people in there. It's like, I have absolutely zero time, nor any sort of desire to know what happened here. Are you fine? I suppose so. How's my well? How am I meaning my body? Is a good question that I would like to know the answer to. Have you seen my body? Also, why are you here? What's going on? What have you done? And then you two hear rattling like walnuts inside a hollow object. You hear wood very rapidly striking against wood as the green hearts around you are now calling out to each other in a very animalistic way. We turn to Oromar now. Mm-hmm. Oromar, you were uh, standing with uh, you were standing at basically the the foot of the steps between the the upper deck area and the main deck area of the Uhuru. The upper deck being, you know, where the helm is and everything. On either side of you, there is one side where Calivar is is battling Red Feather soldiers. Another side where Sifa is, and in front of you is former at this point. Cap, both person and captain Slate, who is commanding these forces. You are perceiving yourself in your body, mm-hmm. and you know you have a choice to make. You can go to help Sifa, you can go to help Calivar, or you can confront Slate, who stands in now for the command of the Red Feathers. Mm. What do you do? Yeah, Oromar has been having a really difficult time with uh, this circumstance because they've already been under the process of understanding themselves as in Travis's body. And now that they've moved into the space where they are suddenly not understanding themselves as Travis and not understanding themselves as the current Oromar Vale who is dead, but the previous living Oromar Vale and none of these senses and perceptions of the self are lining up correctly and it feels within like his own body is being torn in like three separate 
chunks at once. And then mirroring that, there are these three separate things pulling Oromar. And I think he kind of looks at his hands as he's starting to panic slightly about keeping himself together in every sense. And is just kind of watching the edges of his fingers just start to move and blur and separate as trying to understand what version of himself he is supposed to be right now remains entirely inconsistent. Wow. (laughs) And he starts to scream, I think. (laughs) Louder and louder and then in one swift movement pulls the pistol out that he was that is uh, Travis's pistol that he's you know is maintained in this space and uh, levels it at Captain Slate's head and fires hell yeah hell yeah okay Nathan I want to say as a game master uh, there uh, like I I don't usually prepare but for some things like I do need to Mm -hmm. do a little preparation and for a moment I had the chilling terror that you as a player would make a decision that I did not account for and would not know how to support. Oh so I'm glad that you veered back into <laughs> more familiar territory. No, no, no. I figured it was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... You almost so, broke James. <laughs> yeah. You fire your pistol towards Slate. But, like, one of the things that I, I think feels very dreamlike about this is the world kind of justifies happenings. Mm. Slate, like, moved their sword at the same time that you fired your pistol, and the bullet is deflected, but, like, damages the tip of the sword. Mm. And Slate calls down to you a saying that you have heard him say many times and makes your blood boil. What is a man but a story? And as he calls from the top deck of the Uhuru, your senses and mind are overwhelmed with the fact that you are currently floating above a burning Bandari. And there is no story worth telling without love. And so, Oromar Vale, I searched your heart for it. The fires of Bandari rage around you. You can smell the mix of thatch, wood, coal, and peat as you feel the heat bear down until all of the world dances like flame. At the edges of your perception, at the periphery of your vision, it has that swirling feeling of the indistinct reality that exists above fire. And I found these two here sure enough. And you can hear as though from beneath a thin layer of water the shouts and battle cries of both Sifa and Calivar. They mix with the calls of red feather soldiers and the pops of rifle fire the clash of steel against steel. This, though, lives in your heart just as deep, and you would give everything to strike me down.
at this. And I'm going to say, as a GM, I will take a little bit of liberty here with your actions because we've basically entered the cutscene of a video game to set up the next stage. Hell yeah. I think Oromar dashes up the stairs. You know, it is with the the footing and and surety of a man who has lived an extremely long career of doing these kind of like heroic confrontations time and time again, but also within a body that is young and full of the motivation to do those difficult things. Oromar dashes up the stairs in a few strides and your blade catches his. That rings again through the air. You send him off balance, which allows you to dash forward with another slash that cuts his chest. To strike down all that made me what I was. You dive forward again. He does not move quickly enough to block you as you drive your blade through his heart. You let out your own battle cry, and it harmonizes with the screams of Sifa and Calivar behind you. You tasted death just for the chance of crafting a blade sharp enough to cut what you hate. The sounds fade, and shadows seep in. You hear the ragged final breaths of Sifa and Calivar as they both call out to you. And you think that the same blade can pin it down and seal it away. Slate grows pale. You can see his blood fade into the shadows around you. But how can that be your story? If this is the path to your true love, then all that awaits you is silence. Slate fades into shadow too. There is nothing here. No light. No sound. Not even the stillness of air. But you can feel them again. The terribly familiar thing that stalked you for so long returns to your perception. The somber grace of the cutting stone. It, they, whatever it can be said to be, surrounds you in darkness. You are, Oromar Vale, surrounded by figures and shades. Once again, in what you can feel is a semblance of the river. What do you do? I think Orma, in having pushed Slate through into the darkness, has maintained the sword that they were holding. And it is glowing, like, hot, metal-heated by flames that still no longer exist in the environment, but Mm. kind of burn in Orma's and then Travis's, and then dead Oromar's hand. It's starting to actually sear the flesh, but Oromar will not let go. But that kicks so much ass. I love it. 
He turns around to the entity, the single skeleton, the army of ghosts, the shaved fragments of myriad angels. And I think he says, and there is no sound, I think it's like subtitled as the mouth moves, but no sound kind of comes out. The love that I've retained, I will forge into a blade and give to everyone else to make sure that they can protect what they love. I clearly aren't capable of doing it anymore. In this moment, as you say these words, as you hear this message, Nathan, I need to know what exists within Oromar's heart. Because what was just shown to you, what was just put in front of you, is the clear thing that there are things that are important to you. But you decided in the moment that they are less important than destroying something. Mm -hmm. And what you said right then kind of indicates a shift to me. So I want to know, is Oromar in that shift despairing as I am not capable or has he found something else? Hmm. We get very brief flashes of not even a minute ago, I suppose, Oromar looking at Kalavar. Kalavar, who has broken away from Oromar due to ideals and managed to reform himself and survive in the face of death in an entirely way other to Oromar. Twisted and animalistic now, but still impressive that, of course, somebody who was Oromar's second would be able to persist in the face of all else. Sifa, who Oromar also loves incredibly deeply, but is a queen, has managed to attain royalty both before and after Oromar entered her life. And even though there was that recent heart-to-heart in Acheron where the idea of the fact that Oromar's plan isn't to go and do to destroy the, the crown of the sovereign. Does Oromar even have a plan anymore? What is left for Oromar to actually do to achieve his goals? Because all Oromar wants to do is enable everybody everyone to push back against oppression but it feels like such an impossible task to do singularly and he has resolved to both previously and still now to tear away a sense of identity a sense of physicality and sometimes this hasn't even succeeded he's burned everything at this point in this darkness. He no longer really has much of a physical form. He doesn't have a crew. He doesn't have a heritage. All of that is burned. But maybe, maybe there is something left for somebody else to take in the event that he is no more. Okay. That is a good answer. And I think... So what was important about that answer to to peel back the curtain Mm -hmm. for you 
and the audience is I did need to know how difficult it would be for the cutting stone to attack you right now. So that is what is determined. And it appears the stone does manage a hit. Mm-hmm. And this plays out. This is not Oromar fighting one of the cutting stone. This is Oromar fighting a crowd of the cutting stone that he is surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And Nathan, I, I would love for you to just, just take a moment to describe how Oromar faces multiple opponents. When Oromar is surrounded, you know, how does he fight? And when does a blow finally catch him? Mm. I think it is all about creating space and then filling it and then creating space and then filling it to kind of continue to push outwards in like a direction Mm. so it's all about moves that are grabbing and moving other people in the way of other attacks perpetually always trying to push in a direction so with uh like grabbing a skeletal form and flinging it around into the way of a fetid claw swiping through the air a shoulder tackle to kind of knock multiple people to the ground a big almost reaping swing of this bur- of this burning iron sword to try and cut down multiple people in a row. But this is an infinite space. There is yeah. no direction to head to. This, this, this is fascinating to see Oromar's mind, to see an enemy that outscales him and outblades him, that stretches on to infinity, be far beyond what an eye can perceive. And the thought that he has and what his body and will allow him to do instinctually is to just create enough space to keep fighting. Move forward. You have to keep moving forward. And, you know, in this space, Oromar fights and creates space. And the thing is, when doing that, you are not preserving yourself fully you are accepting the blows that necessarily must come. Mm-hmm. And you are eventually struck. Something moves down across the back of your hand. Mm. A blade actually slices down the sleeve of your jacket, which is Travis's jacket, which, mm-hmm. again, we paid 10 gold bars for, which is such a wild price. <laughs> and one of the things that what was designed for was to not be as easily stabbed. Mm-hmm. So I think the blade like glides across it and just cuts the back of your hand. And the thing that you notice here is that cutting the back of your hand, this feels different from when the cutting stone has hit you before. When the cutting stone has hit you in the spiritual space in the past, when when their blades, their stones have pierced your spirit, you have felt a waning and a pulling towards the river, which you had to summon your will to pull against. 
you notice now that your spirit is enveloped by a mortal frame. Their weapons are not really made to cut you. At least not this body. You have more space to fight than you thought before. You do take three wounds, Mm -hmm. subtracting with soak, but... This fight is different. This is not as if Oromar's spirit was cornered by the cutting stone. Mm -hmm. This is as if a living person was cornered by the cutting stone, which is an advantage that Oromar did not have before. Mm. What do you do with that information? I think as this infinite pro-like march was kind of going, there was a, a palpable feeling of despair building up inside Oromar. Like, oh, this is just... The infinite punishment now. We march forward, slashing our swords until eventually enough parts whittled away blow by blow until there is nothing of Oromar left. And then upon taking this injury and not feeling stripped away, it hurt, although it was soaked up. Um, the damage was soaked up, but it still, you know, hurt. There's like a a, a new feeling now of... Oh, yeah. Nathan, Oromar knows now, Hmm. out of physical surety, in the most bizarre way possible, that he is not alone. Hmm. His friend is here. In body, because he's inside his friend's body, which is weird, but Travis, wittingly or not, is protecting you right now. Mm -hmm. And I think... There is another swipe in, but instead of Oromar blocking the sword out of frame, Travis's hand and pistol comes in and blocks the attack, entirely separate to the limbs of Oromar in this space. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think emerging out of Oromar's body, so almost like like a spectral form emerges, like the upper body and torso of Travis. Holy shit. Yes. Now we've entered into a new body horror space that I think is so cool in that Oromar is fighting and also Travis's body is fighting. So like Oromar's spirit can like lash out with a sword blow behind him that takes the form of like a spiritual arm shooting out of his back whereas Travis's arms and body are moving independently it is now two people uh, not even back to back one person inside the other person fighting a crowd of people which is while still overwhelming a much different fight than the one that you were fighting just moments ago Hey, Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, uh, you'll probably notice some continuity errors this week, the biggest of which is it seems that Travis knows more about Green Hearts this episode. Uh, 
I'm going to noodle on that and try and come up with an explanation for it. But I did want you to know that there were other continuity errors as well that our dear friend and super talent of an editor, Casey Tony, managed to cut around and sew together quite beautifully. So I'm sorry for the confusion and sorry that it caused a delay in the episode. Hopefully we won't run into that again this arc. Before we get back to the show, I wanted to say that I currently have a new RPG-related product in pre-order. That is the Ultimate RPG Campfire Cards. Campfire Cards are a role-playing accessory product designed to help your characters bond more. If you want the kind of character dynamics you see here on Campaign Skyjacks or any other one-shot podcast at your own table at home, Campfire Cards are a fun and easy way to help you develop that. This product is also important to me because it is a game-related product that I have convinced my major publisher, Adams Media, an imprint of Simon & Schuster, to take a risk and publish. If it's a success, I have a chance at convincing them to do a lot more game-related projects, and I really want to see that happen. The way that you can help me do that is by pre-ordering it. Pre-orders are a major way that retailers judge interest in a product, and a major way that publishers judge success of a product. Campfire Cards doesn't come out until August of 2023, so we have some time to build up these pre-orders, but the faster they come in, the bigger success my publisher will see. You can pre-order Campfire Cards by heading to bit.ly slash ultimate campfire, where you'll be able to find links to all the major online retailers doing pre-orders, or you can give a call to your friendly local game store or indie bookshop and have them place a special order. And as an extra incentive to Skyjacks listeners, if you pre-order a copy and email your receipt from that pre-order to contests at oneshotpodcast.com and we hit over 100 pre-orders, I will select one lucky winner to choose the subject of the next Skyjack short story that I write. The World of Sphere will be at your command. So help me make campfire cards a huge success by heading to bit.ly slash ultimate campfire or bit.ly slash campfire RPG and get your pre-order in now and think of what story you'd like to hear. As always, a huge thank you to our backers on Patreon. We're putting together a new list of backer thank yous for the new year. So be sure to get your pledge in now to make sure your name is included in the next batch. Now then, before we get back to the show, a quick message from our sponsors. And with all that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. We are in the forest now. What is clear that it is now the forest it is not what you were seeing earlier this does not have the gentle summer beauty of the queen's glade this is some blasted clearing somewhere that is covered across the forest floor with vines that have blooms that are now singed away by the divine fire enshrouding gable it has also burned up the pollen in the area and cleared from your eyes the delusions that were being cast earlier you were not talking to your mother the queen you were not consorting in her glade it was all a ruse all an illusion all one of her games you can see the things in front of you now their flesh is pale pallid sickly tinged with a touch of green 
somewhere between a corpse and someone very soon to be a corpse. Their skin is taut to their body. You can see their veins beneath, almost as if they are somewhat dried out. They move with a robotic inelegance, but they move confidently. They hold their strange poses easily. There is no strain on their muscles or ligaments. There is something deeply unnatural about them. You can tell that they don't know that you can see them right now. There is a blessing in being in Oromar's body in that it is not reacting emotionally the way you would react normally if you were confronted with a picture of a being like this. They have noticed Gable. So, if you were trying to keep things chill, you very critically need to act right now. Gable... Yeah? It's so nice of you to join me and the Forest Queen. Uh, yes. I think Gable's assuming that Travis is under some sort of spell here. Uh-huh. I, I feel welcomed to her home. I, Travis Madigo, am of sound mind, <laughs> and I welcome you to the court of the Forest Queen. I, Gable Skyjax, concur <laughs> and co-sign Travis Madigo and his supposition of where we are. All right, Travis, I am going to need you to make a deception roll. Who am I deceiving? The, the, the critters? The critters. Okay. I've got my character sheets. Oh, God. I've got my, my little app. My little application. How is the... Where's the... I don't have a character. I've pulled up your digital character sheet oh. here. Okay. Digital character sheet technology. Yeah. <laughs> it um. covers the skin. <laughs> oh, I forgot. My wounds and strain are... Everything's fine. This is great. I'm not oh, hurt. Right. Okay, so it's three yellow dice that you get. Huh? I am going to put this against... Three purple dice. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, that is one success and two advantages. So, yeah, you have, like, with this strange little play, managed to keep the tensions cool. These creatures haven't noticed that you are on to the game yet. You can see them now very clearly, moving and shaping and posing their bodies into a facsimile of the queen's throne and other furniture and adornments that she has around her normal glade. You can see one with its strange rictus smile trying to replicate the satisfaction that you recall seeing on your mother's face when she has the upper hand in your negotiations. It is unnerving looking at them, but like, again, you don't have to control the emotions in your face. Only Gable does. 
and Gable is like kind of getting up to speed on a bunch of things. So you've at least passed enough of a message on to Gable not to panic right now. Mm-hmm. This thing mm-hmm. that is talking to Travis, which like you can see it now. It looks so strange. It is a person like again with this like very sort of sickly and tight flesh that is tinged with green but behind them are like a bunch of people who are holding up their arms behind its head and kind of like a halo that you know travis is it is very much approximating like the grandiose vision of the queen this is if you were to create a puppet of her these would be the workings beneath the puppet it's like that american airlines video you know or when you get on the plane and they're like make sure to buckle your seatbelt and then to like hands reach no. behind someone to be like the seatbelt, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. There, there. It, it's got kind of that vibe, kind of that like, um, you know, freshman year mm. avant garde dance uh, sort of. We are your thing. table. Yeah, Eat View, your dinner points. Alexander technique. <laughs> <laughs> but like, mm. it it turns to you and goes, welcome. I was not expecting new guests. And you can tell, like, very much almost like when Oromar is speaking, dry Mm. vocal cords are trying to approximate something approaching the queen's true tones. And can we tell, like, is this actually the queen speaking through this creature or Mm. is it just the creature approximating? That is something that like I am going to need a we're going to have to go with primal here a, primal. Um, optimus primal which is off, off of your cunning Travis for you that's two yellows and a green thank you um, did I remove it from your character sheet Ooh. it's kind of a it's kind of a thing that like only probably only Travis the, would have sort of the, the select of the best yeah, the no, upper the echelon of characters. I can't remember what the secret celebrity <laughs> Disney club is, but like that. Club 33. Club 33, but of players of the game Skyjack. Club so, 69. <laughs> I'm not going to roll on this. I'm just going to not <laughs> yeah, choose not is, to know. This is what I will do is you can make a divine check, but it will be a daunting check. Ooh, for, what's the difficulty for, for, for you? I am going to say... I want actually first from you, Travis, to make a knowledge forbidding, forbidden check. I want to see how much of the queen's various magics you have concerned yourself with learning. So you make that and that will determine the difficulty of the following check. So So what is that check? That is going to be, I am going to say that is a hard one. Okay. That's three. That's three. And then what's my, your knowledge forbidden is, Liz, this a is yellow great. You gotta, and a green. You got to throw out that fucking character sheet. <laughs> yellow and a green. Uh, that is one success and two threats, please. Okay. Great. So you have over your career being, you know, the changeling and, yeah. and somewhat on the run from the forest queen made it your business to like look into rumors and gather information and probably when you were serving in the queen's court treated like one of her dolls or accessories you probably took in a lot then so you know that 
these are green hearts. A green heart is sort of like the uh, another way of looking at a changeling. It is not the Ooh. same type of thing where a changeling is when the body of an animal is attached to the soul of a human person and they move between uh, according to whatever cycle uh, the queen selects or the party negotiates. You know, for you, you've got the day-night cycle and the seasonal cycle determining your bodies. Um, but there are other ways that, that changelings can come about. You would probably, I guess, also being one of the queen servants, know that like sometimes animals can request the bodies of people. And occasionally that will happen. But... There is something else the queen can do to combine a human existence with that of a plant. It is a grisly ceremony that involves someone cutting out their own heart and placing it inside a dying tree. And what results is a green heart, a thing that even when you served the queen made you shudder because the people that underwent this ceremony were nothing like the creatures that came out of this ceremony. There are... It's because you got two threats. I think one thing that you managed to learn, a, a terrible fact about these creatures, is a lot of people, when they see other green hearts, they imagine that their consciousness will be inside their body still. They will just have, like, their heart in a tree. Your consciousness is in the tree. What is in the body is the queen's will over the forest. So effectively, through this deal, through this ceremony, the queen is able to puppeteer people uh, almost. However, they're like... The body can still act on its own. It's maybe instead of a puppeteer, uh, a better comparison would be like a robot where the queen can influence where it moves, but it has all the tools of a human body to think and move on its own and follow the queen's orders to the best of its abilities. Now, you've got another threat here. Johnny, I would love for you to just tell me something else horrible about green hearts that you know. Wait, so you said that their sort of consciousness is trapped in the tree? In the tree. Are we around any of the trees where these consciousnesses might be trapped? This is a great question. And this is something that is probably just occurring to you as like the pollen is burnt away and like slowly your strange perceptions have been weeded out. You've gone like, oh, okay, I'm not with the queen. Oh, these are green hearts. Oh, there must be a tree. That'll call for a perception check. And because we're layered like so many checks mm -hmm. on, upon, upon checks, I will first ask you just for another little little terrible tidbit um, because you did get two threats. So I just want to know what's what's the other threat? What is something that makes Greenhearts dangerous? Uh, well, I think something that makes these particular ones dangerous is I do think that one of the ones that is here was turned into a Greenheart perhaps because they lost a game of Illamat against me. Oh, <laughs> Travis. Travis, Travis. We did sort of have, way back when, at that convention recording, our good friend Dan the Bard stepped in to be the Queen's groundkeeper. Yes. Who also joined the Illamat game. So we both know this guy. Oh. Yeah. 
That's the guy. <laughs> That's the guy who's in front of you right now. Oh, these are like a bunch of of evil Groots. Yep, bad nasty Groot boys. Um, so uh, uh, you can hear between them just saying, "I am nasty Groot." Um, uh, and it's nasty Groot, so it counts as parody. Uh, uh, now we can roll for the magic and understanding this magic and how it works. Gable, for you, it is a divine check at Daunting. Gosh, Travis, what is for daunting? you, Let me it, know. it's going to be uh, a primal at merely average. Daunting is four purple. four purple. So that's two, and then it was three yellows for me? It is two yellows and a green. Oh. Um, but I'm going to actually say, instead of those purples, uh, Johnny, put reds in there. Yeah, two let's reds. Do it. Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. Fuck. So two yellows and a green versus two reds? Yep. Easy. Okay. One success, one triumph, and oh. one despair. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I got right. two successes. Two successes? Yeah. Excellent. Do a, do a triumph and a despair cancel each other out? No, they do not. They both happen at the same Big, time. good, bad Which time. rules. Imme- okay, success. Both of you got successes. Yeah. Um, we'll start with the success that Johnny gets. You understand a little bit of how the green hearts work already. You know what a green heart is. A green heart is someone who has undergone this grisly ceremony to become one of the queen's servants. It's usually like something that someone does to settle their debts, to avoid a more terrible fate, if that is imaginable. Generally speaking, it's Something to do with protecting a loved one from the influence of the queen to spare, you know, you, you, you cannot begin to count the number of people to, to spare loved ones deals that they have made who have offered themselves as green hearts. You know that I'm getting so in the weeds with metaphors here, but like occasionally the, the way green hearts work is is perhaps like a music box that is wound up. Mm. Uh, they can perform certain things that the queen dictates and can leave on their own. But the queen can also kind of be seeing through them and moving through them like, like a puppeteer, like I said earlier. So you know that there are different ways the magic could cut. But Really, and this is where your despair comes in, the thing that is essential about this is that the queen can perceive through them. Mm. Now, the queen doesn't need to actively be perceiving through them to get the information from it, but you now go over the conversation in your head that you had, and you realize some critical things. The queen because of your call, knows that Margaret, or suspected that Margaret might be alive. And you did confirm that. You also know, because of your conversation with the Rusalka, Margaret being alive is one of the only things that could pose a threat to the queen. So confirming that, there's a very real possibility that the queen might want to kill one of you. So that will be your despair. I'm going to let you noodle on your triumph. Gable. Yeah? This is a different... Uh, bird. 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 <laughs> we did it! This campaign's da, over, da, everybody. Da, 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 da. I told you that we tried to do that at a wedding, and then it hit 
like a lead balloon. That's so good. <laughs> wait, wait, tried to do at the end. Like it's the Chicago wedding. Like I, I feel like oh, okay. at, at the end of a, a toast, sometimes people will go. Da, 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 da. If you're a terrorist, if we, if, like yes. us. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it would. We we thought it was a. A, a chill time and it was not <laughs> I was not at this wedding but I would have joined in was I yeah had I had I been was had I been that's extremely funny that that you would think to do that and I'm know. so glad that it did not happen at my wedding I know um, we, I'm sure we tried <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, and audience, I'm just going to let you in on this. We are a bad table, I think. Most oh, of the table, like yeah. at Peter's wedding, oh, yeah. we were an awful table. No, we were a great, we were the party table. Mm, don't know about that. Don't know about the, the, the laugh it, cues that we hit were probably not the laugh cues that I have they were intending. never been at a table that was not table 10 or above yeah i'm back at the room we were that table at your wedding too we were chucking food we were we were throwing food in each other's mouths across the table (laughs) uh johnny threw a roll that did land in my water (laughs) (laughs) children children that's why we didn't have a table at our we didn't have tables at our weddings but rich did manage to show up in a ridiculous jacket and hater block yep Mm -hmm. great way johnny's wedding cannot recommend enough do it again do it again do it again. Do it again. Um, Liz. Yes. This is a different angle of how you kind of feel the sovereign's influence worked. Angels are kind of made out of, and, and human beings for that matter, are more or less made out of sovereign stuff. It is. It was as though he, when forming an angel, carved out a piece of his being and made it an independent node of that that could move on its own and like has its own consciousness but it was kind of an extension of his influence as well as though you could like carve out a piece of your brain just to make sure that like you kept doing your taxes or whatever while the rest of you went off and did other sovereign things mm-hmm. this what the queen has done with these green hearts, like you peer at the magic. Like I imagine you, you, you flicker open the eyes on, on the feathers of your wings and like see what is happening. And even if it is very different, like, you know, you go, Oh, the structure is the same, you know, sort of like, I don't know, identifying a French dip as a different sandwich with, with au jus. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's the same principle. Yeah. You know, we're, we're just doing sandwiches at the end of the day. Yeah, we're just doing sandwiches. Italian beef and French dip. That is what I'll You compare. are in the weeds on metaphors right now. Hey! <laughs> so the answer is yes, she is seeing through their eyes right now. She could be. But Very well could be, but not necessarily. And the reason you know this, you've got two successes. Yeah. You and the Morning Star famously did plot to murder the Sovereign. And the Sovereign seemed pretty surprised when he got murdered. I can't imagine. Plot is a generous term. Sure, for, sure. For but harbored murderous yes, feelings. Intent. Murderous intent. And the Sovereign did not seem to know about them. Okay. So... There is there's enough of a chance. separation of church and state, if you will. Yeah. Now we come back to Johnny. Johnny. Yes. You have a triumph. Okay. If this is too much, let mm-hmm. me know. 
Is it possible that in my many years of research and investigation, I've discovered a way to reverse the green heartification? You have slain a green heart before. Ooh. I'm gonna give I'll give you that. Okay. What happens? Do you ooh. Do you have an idea of how you do it? Yeah. Okay. I do, but but if you know you have a suggestion. Well, I imagine it has to you have to you have to cut down the tree. That's exactly it. Okay, good. I would like to flash back <laughs> to <clears throat> decades before. Travis, you are currently being hunted, pursued. You're tired, extremely tired, in the form of a man. It is daylight, but the forest above, the the, the lattice of the trees have melded together so much that it feels gray and dark as though it were night. You are casting about the forest, looking for what you know to be there. Clutched in one of your hands, you have a hatchet. You are moving through the forest, perking your ears. And the thing about a forest is it can be so eerily silent. Here you are in a place where the trees are so thick together that even a breeze barely passes through them. You almost don't hear the swaying of the leaves. And very tellingly, you don't hear the chitter of birds or sounds of other animals because a predator is about. You hear a twig snap in the distance and instinctually the parts of you that are a rabbit, the parts of you that are a coyote freeze and the silence passes and you feel safe to move again. You move from tree to tree until you find one that looks ill. Its branches bare. They move in a sharp and jutting way. You can feel the sickly life that exists within it. You approach the tree and steal yourself for taking a risk. You know what you are about to do will very likely alert your pursuer. But if you can do it quickly enough, then you will have defeated them. You bring the hatchet back and bring down your first swing. A chop echoes through the forest, and you can hear in the distance movement. It is now getting closer. You bring that axe back again, another chop. This time it cuts through the bark, and what wells up out of the tree is blood. Blood pours down a liquidy sap across the bark. You chop again and again, spatters of blood over your face, just shooting up around the world, uh, a pool of blood coalescing at the bottom of the tree as breaking through the branches and thickets of, of the forest around, you can see the sickly form of the green heart, this inhuman screaming thing running on all fours towards you as you chop bring down the tree with your last swing. It cracks and booms to the ground as the creature screams and falls just before it reaches you. And then 
suddenly you can hear the leaves again swaying and the birds calling and it sounds like laughter. Her laughter. So yes, you know how to defeat a green heart. You fell the tree. Sky Jacks. We return once again to the long line of applicants in front of the skyship Uhuru. One of them wanders off the line and approaches the table. I, I'm going to allow Johnny to describe this person and whether or not they give headshots and resumes. Um, yeah, so this person walks up. They are wearing like an Ed Hardy shirt. Hair is in a faux hawk. Um, he's wearing thick, like nerd glasses which i think are honestly probably um 3d glasses from a movie theater with the lenses popped out <laughs> and pretty pretty baggy like dickies black dickies pants and he comes up and he doesn't give a headshot and resume but he does give a business card with a very long link to an ebook <laughs> 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 But it's he he absolutely did not purchase or use any sort of link shortener. It is a full URL that you mm-hmm. have to type in. With lots of like symbols <laughs> and uppercase and lowercase <laughs> letters intermixed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then he he places he places one in front of each person at the table and then he uh gives a solemn bow. A bow with, with his hands pressed yeah. together mm-hmm. in front. Uh hey, th- uh thank you um for uh coming out. Um Mr https uh colon backslash backslash drive dot google dot com slash file slash d is this your full name or is the oh there's a back okay no you're uh yes the link does continue onto the back (laughs) okay um who are you my name is track reagans i'm a paranormal investigator and i believe your ship to be haunted i've never seen a ship uh in the air before there are no ghosts here. What are you talking about? No ghosts. That, Everybody here, uh, here is perfectly fine, perfectly living. <clears throat> I, I think a lot of people assume that, but you'll find that the spirit world is, in fact, all around us. No, 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 no. When people die, they just, like, vanish and whatever. No such thing as ghosts. Yeah, we don't really do that thing here. You're going to want to find a different ship. Uh, so, uh, no, we're good. We're good. See, but I find this actually to be intriguing. <laughs> Gable! See, if there's, for the safety of some members of the crew, if there are people in this world who can detect paranormal situations, it should be in our best interest to know who those people are. And if Mr. Reagan's here is, in fact, who he says he is, perhaps it is in our best interest to know him and perhaps dispose of him. Yeah, yeah. How many, how many people like you, mate? How many people like you do what you do? How many people like me? How many do you mean? How many people enjoy my company? Or, uh, uh, well, that's 
probably question two yeah, if you're applying yeah. for the ship. But I mean, like, <laughs> that feels I'd... like a culture fit question to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like amongst the Ed Hardy community, probably lots. But I'll tell you this: they call themselves Ed Hardons. Mm. <laughs> nah. mm. That's I've... what I've always seen. Mm. <laughs> I've always found myself to be on the outskirts of whatever communities I encounter, but. Do you think it's because have, of your personality and just how it is? I think it's because I'm a, I'm a, I've had to deal with a lot, a lot of entities, demonic attachments, and I feel like it's put me on a different path um, than most. But thankfully, I have the brotherhood of my two uh, dearest companions. You're so, here by yourself. Yeah. Uh, yes, they are both uh, on a current lockdown assignment. Right. Oh, right. so you you have a whole business. You have a whole goat ghost hunting business. Uh, no, we make no money. We ask <sighs> for no payment. We are um, purely searching for the truth. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so when you say ghost hunting, this isn't like I'm gonna hunt something down and exterminate and dispose of it. It's more like no. That's that's what we call ghost busting. And we're oh, okay. we're just hunting for the ghosts. We're hunting for evidence of ghosts, which I think okay. is plain to see all around us. So, okay. so I mean, if I were to to frame this in a more familiar territory for me, and I think my, maybe others, if this was birds, you'd be bird watching, not so much bird hunting. This is, so you're like a ghost watcher. Well, I think there's a difference between between seeing a bird. And documenting the evidence of birds. Watching. Yes, and watching birds. if a bird birds. was in your house, what would you do? Would you guide it out of the house Well, slowly? I the first thing I would do is make sure that there's no other explanation for what you're seeing. Making sure uh-huh. that um, <clears throat> it is, in fact, a bird and not, uh-huh. um, I don't know, a bat. That's a lot of times okay. people will mistake uh, bats for birds. Uh, it could also be... <laughs> A large. I got to imagine that's the divide between a ghost and a demon. Uh, It is similar. It is similar to the difference between a bird and a bat. Yes, (laughs) demons are known to be edgy ghosts, from what (laughs) I understand. And no feathers. Demons have no feathers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. Mm -hmm. But back to back to what uh, Gable was asking, um, because you know uh, we do a lot of work here on the ship. So, like, if you were to find a ghost. What do you do with mm-hmm. that? Well, again, we just document evidence that the ghost exists. We'll uh, record it talking, maybe. We'll put some toys out for it to play with, film record the toys moving. Right. Um, and then we'll come back and play all of that for you so that you can see that you've got a ghost on your boat. So you're saying that, you have, that you've detected some ghosts on this boat, right? I, I believe an entity. And I, again, I'm not sure whether it's a ghost or a demon. We'll have to see whether there are or are not feathers Oh, involved, why don't you go but... detect me a ghost right now? But you can't. Okay. You won't. Well, we will, you know, we can only detect under a full lockdown. So we will need everyone to get off of the boat for at least 24 hours. So we can stay on the boat overnight, just me and my crew. What? What about the rest of us? We we are part of the crew, so would we be staying on the ship? No, everyone would need to get off the ship because again, what if we see what if we see you and I think maybe you're the ghost of a little boy? Or the only way could, to know for sure is for you to be off of the boat. 
Well, well I mean, I, you could just like remember what I look and sound like. No, well, it's Dean... fine, John. We don't want to be mistaken for ghosts. <laughs> but I, he feels it... demons okay. can perfectly imitate humans and animals. I I don't know for a fact right now that you're not a demon standing in front of me. How, how do you know your companions aren't, aren't demons or ghosts when you're in a lockdown situation? That's a that's a fantastic question. We have we do have uh, secret code words, both for the beginning of an investigation to ensure we are who we say we are, and additional secret code words in case one of us were to come back as a ghost ourselves, so that we can prove that it's us. And and the oh. reason why we couldn't establish those right here right now to then be on the ghost uh excursion later that's a that's a great question and i i think the answer is obvious if you are a demon you could give me a word and then later you could confirm the word but i would just be confirming a word with a demon okay <laughs> all right so i i i don't think that we're going to have you on because there's just <laughs> This is pe- where people live. This is their house. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> no, they they only need to leave for twenty four hours. Okay, but that's uh, twenty four hours is from their house. They mm-hmm. have to leave their house. They have to go they to a different house. Twenty four mm-hmm. hours. Yeah. yeah, find a different house. There are something like two hundred people who who uh, at last count anyway uh, who maybe uh, use this as their two hundred to four thousand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't, I, we can't afford want, to put everyone up. I want to dig in a little bit here to like. Through my various means, I have followed the link. I put in every single character mm-hmm. and, and and plugged it into my uh, my magical device, yeah, my, sure. my magical pamphlet. Are you that using use. that uh, PowerPoint thing that that other lady used a while back? Yes, 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 yes absolutely. Oh. He was pointing very forcefully. Using my, my various magics. So I'm looking at the book here. Could you, uh, uh, first of all, can you read the title for me? Uh, yeah, sure. This is my third book. It's called Spirits Come Inside Me. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, and uh, just it's a it's an ebook that is real that people can. It is read a real ebook that I to. I wrote a while ago at this point <laughs> that that will be linked in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Campaign Skyjacks is a one shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Do you love Star Wars but kind of wish you didn't? Then join us on the Expounded Universe podcast as we read through all the old Star Wars novels that took the galaxy far, far away that you know and love and turned it into a place where Han Solo can punch a giant otter and Luke Skywalker almost gets eaten by a giant gold-plated pillar of Dinty Moore beef stew. Did you like Princess Leia? Well, too bad. Now she's a space racist. Don't believe me? You'll just have to listen to find out on Expounded Universe. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. You can stream his short film, Lining, on the Roku channel for free. Just search for the shortlist, Summer. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. 
Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash TheNeonCaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, or on his podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. And once for our friends near rise, twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny. The call of the sky